you're listening to Lens, a film and theology podcast where we talk about how movies present reality and how that compares and contrasts with the biblical worldview and the Christian gospel. Um, so, yeah, my name is Brad Witte. And I'm Pip Craycut. And, uh, yeah, so the film we're talking about today is Rebel Without a Cause, a 1955 film with the legendary James Dean. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Pip, how was this movie the first time you saw it? How was it different than what you were expecting? Yeah, great question. So I saw it in, a, in film school, actually. They were doing a, kind of a, a series of films on Natalie Wood. And it was, it was very different than what I expected because I, I assumed it to be more, I guess I kind of assumed it to be kind of cheesy exploitation. Like, uh, not, not like outrageous exploitation like a Roger Corman film, but I just kind of expect to be like a dumb film about, you know, just kind of uh, rebellious youth doing stupid things and maybe maybe like a tragic end or like kind of a just kind of morality tale at the end where it's just like, oh, these they did made, these people mad, made bad choices and this is what happened, but it was so much more profound and I've seen it uh, probably a half dozen or so times since then maybe more and I just... It is stuck with me. It's just far more profound than I was expecting. Yeah, I um, to, I, I have to confess, the first time I tried to watch this movie was probably about ten years ago, and I was hanging out at some friend's house, and maybe it was the mood I was in or whatever. But we got into watching the first scene, and the moment where James Dean suddenly, uh, well, Jim, uh, where Jim suddenly yells at his parents, "You're tearing me apart!" Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I was, I wasn't ready. <laughs> <laughs> to watch a movie where a teenager yells at his parents, you're tearing me apart. Like for some reason I felt like, Oh boy, this, this feels really on the nose. Um, and, yeah. but, and so I did, so like I actually said to my friends, I was like, Hey, can we, can we watch something else? <laughs> oh, that's funny. But it's funny because I had the same experience when I, when I watched it more recently where it almost kind of feels like once you, you have to just kind of accept like, okay, this movie is, is, over 50 years old and they, you know, people spoke differently. Dialogue is different. Um, you just kind of have to, you just kind of have to submerge yourself into this world. And once you do like stylistically, it's amazing. Like the dialogue, the man, the way that the way that it's filmed, the pacing, the music, it just, it just totally takes you into this world. And it's, it's a very enjoyable experience. It's one of those films you can revisit too, like just in terms of like there's this kind of sense of fatalistic atmosphere. It feels like a kind of a prototypical high high school film where it's mm-hmm. got the kind of like high school apocalypse feel. Yeah, that a lot of films have where you just kind of feel like I'm not even gonna make it out of high school and life just seems like it's crashing in on you. And it's but it's a very like very appealing atmosphere. I've, I keep going back to it just because I I love the atmosphere of the film. Yeah, I think it, speaking of what you said, the kind of fatalistic tone. Um, what I love about this movie is whereas I feel like a lot of movies about teenagers have that tone and that vibe of like, what does anything matter? We're all going to die someday anyway. Like, why not just, you know, just enjoy the time we have and none of this, none of this matters anyhow. What I love about this movie is at the near the, near the very beginning of the movie, we are actually given the like direct reasons of why yeah, yeah. the youth all feel this way it could yeah, not well, i mean it's yeah oh, sorry you go oh yeah i was just gonna say like it's it's mind-blowing um the way that uh 
of course, we're talking about the planetarium scene where mm-hmm. where uh, Jim and Judy and all the other students are taken into this planetarium. Of course, Griffith, Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, the planetarium, this is representing like modern science and the best that man has to offer um, at the time in the mid-50s. And uh, yeah, basically what is actually said in the planetarium in the planetarium speech is is um is is very striking and it basically sets up the worldview and the kind of environment that these young people are in um yeah and it it helps us to understand why they feel the way they feel why they respond the way they do to their parents and everything going on so um i think it it would actually be really great to just play the uh, planetarium speech that we hear um, in the movie. Um, yeah, so we're just we're just gonna play it now. So this this takes place um, during the planetarium scene, and this is like the lecture, the the uh, the scientist giving this talk. An immensity of our universe. For many days before the end of our Earth, people will look into the night sky and notice a star increasingly bright and increasingly near. As this star approaches us, as this star approaches us, the weather will change. The great polar fields of the north and south will rot and divide, and the seas will turn warmer. The last of us search the heavens and stand amazed, for the stars will still be there, moving through their ancient rhythms. The familiar constellations that illuminate our night will seem as they have always seemed, eternal, unchanged, and little moved by the shortness of time between our planet's birth and its demise. Orion, the hunter, one of Ptolemy's constellations and the most brilliant in the heavens. Taurus, the bull, Sagittarius and Aries, long after we have gone. And while the flash of our beginning has not yet traveled the light years into distance, has not yet been seen by planets deep within the other galaxies. We will disappear into the blackness of the space from which we came, destroyed as we began in a burst of gas and fire. heavens are still and cold once more. In all the immensity of our universe and the galaxies beyond, the Earth will not be missed. Through the infinite reaches of space, the problems of man seem trivial and naive indeed. And man, existing alone, seems himself an episode of little consequence. That's all. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much. Here's here's something that's kind of weird about it. I want to say just the last I've been to the Griffith Observatory many uh, several times. The last time I was there, they the kind of presentation, the planetarium presentation, wasn't that dissimilar. It just in terms of like really a pretty like just like this very intense kind of cosmic overview. I mean, it was not as like it was not about the specific end of the cosmos that I recall. But it is it's just funny because it's like oh this this is pretty. Cl- I mean, that's scientifically what people a variation of what people believe. Like it's not, mm-hmm. 
obviously it's exaggerated the way it's said, but it's not 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 that much. Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's basically yeah you're right. It's a more kind of melodramatic and uh, an intense version of of like materialistic you know philosophy more or less right am i mm-hmm. am i using the right word for that like philosophical yeah i think i think it's just kind of he talks about our universe right uh and the stars and just the vastness of it and talks about our planet planet's birth and its demise uh you know destroyed as we began in a burst of gas and fire the heavens are still and cold once more in all our, the complexity of our universe and the galaxies beyond the earth will not be missed so it doesn't get into specific details of how you know the Earth will will end because I believe the the sun I think the, the theory is that the sun will go supernova it'll turn or it'll turn to a red giant and engulf our planet make life inhospitable far beyond before it actually engulfs it I believe that's it and then ultimately there's a uniform heat death in the universe but in any case it's so regardless of the specifics of what this guy says it's you know it's definitely like hey here's an atheistic materialist reductionist view of the universe and then the narrator says that's all thank you very much <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just um, like, have a nice day and what yeah. i love is after that when the when the fight starts to go down the outside when jim and uh oh, what's uh, buzz gunderson are fighting mm-hmm. that the the narrator the the kind of representative scientist you know he's like oh those couldn't be my kids fighting down there or something like that yeah. oh, they couldn't be the students who are attending my you know, oh, those students wouldn't be the students who I just told them that life is totally futile. Like the human <laughs> yeah. race is destined for yeah. extinction. I feel no need to take responsibility for that. Yeah. But what's fascinating about this is that if you actually think about the title of this film, Rebel Without a Cause, I actually think it's very intentional that this kid and these kids are rebellious and aimless because they've essentially been told by like this scientific figure in the film that humanity an existence in life has no meaningful cause that it's basically developed in a burst of gas and fire. And in one day that life as we know, it will disappear in the same way. And so like, yeah, I, I wonder if that was meant to be intentional or, or if it wasn't, I don't know. But whenever I think about the title, it's like, yeah, that's, that is the, it's the result of life with no cause, at least if that is what your worldview is, if that's what is undergirding your story, essentially. Um, well, and it's, it's funny, the title actually, cause yeah, like there's three kind of rebellious, I, cause another one of those things, like before I saw the film, I assumed, oh, James Dean is like a rebel, but James Dean is like, I assumed he was going to be an anti-hero, but he's not an anti-hero. He's like a troubled hero. Like he's like, he wants to do the right thing. Like mm-hmm. he like try, even when he attacks his father, he's like trying to get his father to rise up and be a man is the mm-hmm. idea. So it's, yeah. But it's funny because it was like Plato, James Dean, and uh, wow, I'm blanking on her name, Judy. Uh, Judy. And you know they're both kind of the rebels without a cause. Yeah, but it's like oh, the adults have stripped the cause from them, mm-hmm. and really it feels. I just feel I love that how ironic the title is because it's like, and it's, I think you know that's beautifully ambiguous and go multiple directions. Like oh, man, with whose cause has been stri- whose purpose has been stripped from him, but also it's just there's like tons of causes. It's like okay, Plato's dad left him and just sends uh, uh, sends child support checks and his wife, his mom just goes off and does whatever she, her dad can't handle her like her being a woman you know and then there's like the myriad the kind of the stuff going on with with Jim and it's just like oh there's plenty of cause here yeah yeah and it actually it's it's incredible that um, 
uh, jumping way ahead here, but uh, whenever whenever uh, they're in the police car going to the Griffith Observatory, um, Jim's mom says, uh, you pray for your children, you hear about things like this happening, but you never dreamed it could happen to yours. Mm-hmm. And so the parents and the mom seem to be completely shocked that that they're that her kids and that his friends have gone down this perilous path and don't seem to recognize that their choices and their parenting have have caused any of this <laughs> yeah yeah totally. well i feel like i feel and but you know it's funny because it feels like they kind of at the end they kind of get like i feel like mr howell mm-hmm. uh <laughs> jim's dad dad uh who i just love the gilligan's island connection mm-hmm. he uh he kind of gets it. You feel like there's this kind of like guilty look on his face a lot of the time. You know what I'm talking about? And I feel like even at the end, the mom kind of seems to get that she's kind of nattering at the kid. Like right at the end where where Jim is like, hey, this is my friend Judy. And the mom seems to object. And then the dad kind of says it's all right. Yeah. And it feels like he, the dad actually kind of reemerges in his role as like, oh, he's like being the man of the house. Like he's, he's right. acting as a husband and not just kind of beat down. And the mom kind of... It just feels like there's actually there's like a sweet kind of resolution there, which, you know, but there's not indication of that with Judy's family and certainly not with, I mean, Plato dies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. You and actually hear even Plato's Plato's mother figure. I didn't realize it's just thinking now Plato's mom is not abs- present at all, but his mother figure mourns his death, you know, mm-hmm. who's a, the, their, uh, their, their maid or, mm-hmm. or I wasn't quite sure what her role was, but something like that. Yeah, it's fascinating that um, whenever uh, when after Plato has just died, uh, Jim is is like laying there in shock, mourning on the ground, and uh, his dad says to him, "Stand up, son. We'll stand up together. I'll try to stand up and like and and yeah, be the man, be the father you want me to be." And so you yeah. you do see that reversal in the end. Circling back though to to stuff that's closer to the beginning of the film, some of the things I want to talk about were um yeah what uh well i would say the one one thing that one thing about the film like i I love this film and what i'm about to say it does ring true to what to being a teenager but one thing that always blows my mind is literally judy's boyfriend dies tragically in a car accident and like two hours later she's hanging out in a mansion and creating a surrogate family (laughs) (laughs) you know i mean it does kind of ring true into a certain sense of how like adolescence you know like how romance and all that kind of stuff is just so like can be so tumultuous, but still you just watch. Yeah. You're like, well, this took place in a tw- the whole film takes place in a twenty four hour. Yeah. So. And here's yeah. yeah here's what's here's what I think about Judy that's so remarkable. Yeah, you're right. Whenever her boyfriend dies, she there's a moment there where she's like standing next to the cliff, and like Jim has to reach out to her, where you almost yeah. get the sense of like, oh, does. Did Jim and Plato get the sense that she's about to jump off and kill herself? Yeah. So there's yeah. that. But then, yeah, you're right that within a 24-hour period, she's already done Morning Buzz, and she's like telling well, literally the same night. Literally, literally the, the same whole night. Film's 24 hours. hours. She's yeah. telling Jim that she loves him and like is yeah. kissing him. And to, to me, what I, what I think is going on with this character is that it's very it's very clearly um, demonstrated in the scene with her father, like in their dinner scene in her home. She is just trying so desperately to connect with her father and like mm-hmm. trying to show him affection and receive affection from her. And this man does not know how to show any kind of affection to his teenage daughter. And so as a result, it's clear that she's she's seeking to get 
affection and attention from from anyone from anyone who will give it to her and that's why i think it's the movies it's almost like it's trying to actually romanticize uh her and jim's relationship as this like ideal like hollywood romance but like more emotionally and psychologically it feels like oh she's just looking for she's looking for affection attention and affection and like love from anywhere she can get it um and but you know what's interesting is it almost feels like her dad is uncomfortable. It, you get the feeling it has to do with just that she's a woman now. So yeah. you kind of feel like her dad is uncomfortable with her just having a sexuality, right? Sure. With her like being a woman. So it feels like her dad is uncomfortable with that. And then it feels like with Buzz, Buzz is like a bad boy. And she's yeah. like, okay, she's hanging around with the wrong crowd. But then Jim, she like says at one point, just talks about how he's like, she admires Jim because he cares for Plato mm-hmm. And like that Jim is like, I don't know if she uses the word tender, but you, you feel like she admires the fact that he isn't just like attractive or something, that he's actually like kind and gentle mm-hmm. in ways. And so it almost feels like she's like underneath the whatever, the sexuality or her being like bad or whatever, right? Is like really, it's like she's looking for that connection. Because mm-hmm. obviously she really is trying to like love and connect with her dad and he won't have any of it. So yeah. you kind of feel like she's like kind of, you know, she's when she starts off, she's like kind of like, doll she's like kind of gone out late at night kind of street walking and it just kind of feels like you know there's like this sense of like something weird is going on here and it's just yeah it's just like underneath it even just the the sexuality feels like there's just a desire for connection Mm -hmm. yeah um the actual line she says uh to jim like like pointing out what she likes about him uh she says what kind of person do you think a girl wants and he says uh, a man and and she says a man yes a man but is but who is gentle and sweet like you and someone who doesn't run away when you want them like so striking it like she it's it's someone who is like actually reciprocates that care and that affection and sweetness and actually a line she says just before that uh which defines her character so well um she says i love someone but all the time I've been looking for someone to love me, but now I love someone like all this time. She's looking for someone to love her. So like, that's her whole life is just seeking, seeking to love people in hopes that someone will love her. And, um, that, uh, yeah, that character arc for her is so striking to me. Cause that's, I really feel like that's, that's all of us. Like that's what all of us are seeking, mm-hmm. especially in terms of like how we pursue romantic relationships, but really like in all of life, we're, we're seeking that attention and that approval and that, and that love. Um, and what, what she says sounds like a description of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, and it, it's interesting too. And then Plato's looking for a dad mm-hmm. and, and James Dean is looking for a dad too. And like, Oh, that also sounds like humanity's need for like a father, a good father mm-hmm. who like, is strong and kind and approachable. Yeah. And so in this, in this world that we're inhabiting in a rebel without a cause where basically the, the accepted knowledge is, is that man has no purpose and has no cause and is just created in the ball of gas and fire. Um, and also along with that, there's a total absence of like fatherly love and fatherly strength and care um, and, and like someone who actually loves you back. So essentially, yeah, this is a world without, without the good news of the gospel. 
um, it just you know it 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 contrasts so much with um, with how in the gospel we see that the world is not you know God makes the world with purpose and He creates the earth and He creates the earth not not you know not as just something for Himself it ultimately is for His glory but He creates it as a home for human beings. He creates a garden and he creates a place for us to be able to grow and flourish and multiply and like to be in relationship with him. And um, even even when mankind rebels against God and has fallen, he continues to pursue us in relationship and wants and wants to to be in relationship us. He is seeking us. Um, And so that's that's obviously what's missing from this film. And you. And you see how that leads to such um, confused, um, yeah, can just confused ideas and confused, confused, conflicting desires in the characters, um, and yeah, um, emotional tur- turmoil really. families these homes are so from the out like the gym seems like it's a nuclear family from the outside it wouldn't seem that messed up and then from the inside it's like oh this is this is very dark and there's like a the family just wants to save face like the mom says don't go to the cops and share what happened like it's just and then jim wants to just have fidelity you know he wants just Mm -hmm. to be be truthful and do he's morally convicted but i think it's interesting how you kind of see these these houses and then you have these kind of houses where it's things are rotting on the inside, and then you literally have them, this a surrogate family, Jim, Judy, and Plato, walking around a dilapidated mansion. You know, it's mm-hmm. that to me is really, it's I haven't really thought about it before, but it's like oh, it's just like this. They're walking through this sim, this kind of rotted out symbolic home with like the you know is that the American family, the American ideal mm-hmm. kind of it. I mean, even the fact that the, so the, I guess it's based on a book which was about. Uh, uh, inner city delinqu- juvenile delinquents hmm. and then you know this this film is obviously this is like the suburbs mm-hmm. slash Hollywood um, but it's you know it's the suburbs which is interesting that they moved it there and to me it, se- it seems such a like profound because I guess and again this is kind of circling back to the start you really expected this to be kind of exploitative look at what these bad kids are doing but really it's it, it ends up actually being just not a rebuke to the kids it's not like an expose of how bad rotten these kids are it's a rebuke to the society that uh that has fostered the conditions for these kids to yeah. that has failed these kids yeah um the thing that i wrote down um yeah it's it's interesting you use the word rebuke because i i was shocked what this movie ultimately does it what i wrote down was that rebel without a cause is a scathing rebuke of like um materialistic uh modern um kind of scientism and like rejection of god and man's purpose and showing what happens to the youth whenever you take away all meaning moral conviction and absolute truth and replace it with relativism and like pragmatism um it's a universe that's devoid of love so the human relationships um are devoid of real love and commitment and any kind of like meaningful presence um that that's kind of what I 
what I took away. And the thing that is mind blowing to me, and this, this has to be intentional is, um, so we kind of like hear the sermon of this age in the planetarium, right? Like, and then, um, whenever the cops are chasing Plato, where does he go to? He runs to the planetarium and that, that to me, that's an unmistakable kind of like running for sanctuary. And so it's like he's running into a church almost for sanctuary, but instead an, it's an empty, a nihilistic church. Yeah. He's running into yeah. a nihilistic church, so to speak. Um, and uh, yeah. And, and so like, it's this picture of, of like mankind trying to run back t- for safety and for rescue to these, to these, um, you know, these ideals, these nihilistic ideals. And obviously it, it does nothing for Plato, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, cause it really feels, I feel like the film really, I've only like Mark Sayers, I've heard pick up on this, but I haven't, I feel like in reading about the film, I haven't heard that many people pick up on, you know, the heart of the film. It's just like, here's this, this empty worldview is, is, is presented to the planetarium. And then the kids act out of that. And it really, the film is so explicit because they even just that one, that, that, when you first watch the film, it comes out of nowhere. That kind of planetarium, the narration, mm-hmm. it, it just seems so intense. Yeah. And then the fact that they they go back to the planetarium, mm-hmm. you know, and the, just back to this institution which has failed failed them, it just seems so – you know, in kind of looking back at the film, it's just like so explicit that this is the heart – this mm-hmm. is the crux of the film. Mm-hmm. Like the failure of, of modern institutions to provide a, a satisfying – life narrative like narrative to the anything mm-hmm. and it's it's so interesting because the film it's so again i i feel like i'm harping on this but unexpectedly pr- profound mm-hmm. in this scene uh the scene where jim is telling his parents that he was involved in in this in this kid dying um he like you were talking about before he wants to he wants to go and confess because he feels he feels a moral conviction to do so. But his parents immediately leap to thinking about saving face and his future. They immediately leap to just kind of a pragmatism of like, oh, if no one if no one saw you do it, you're fine. Um, and he shouts out. Uh, um, he shouts out to his mom. But I am involved. We are all involved. Mm-hmm. It was just. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> profound. Yeah. Yeah, we all we all share, we all have a contribution to this world we're in now. Um, yeah. And I, also, the film is just you know I think just obviously the cinematography is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I guess they started filming it in black and white, and then once they kind of realized that James Dean was a big deal, they upped the budget mm-hmm. and and refilmed it in color. And it's it's interesting because this director too, Nicholas Ray. I mean, he was like he was uh, he was greatly beloved by the French. Uh, by just kind of the French auteurs, mm-hmm. um, Godard and stuff. And I know Jim Jarmusch studied with mm-hmm. him, which is like, he, I mean, that's really is, a. obviously I think it's on the AFI top 100, but I, you still, I still feel like, wow, this film deserves so much more credit than oh, yeah. the content is just, the content is so rich. And it, even just James Dean, man, his acting is just mesmerizingly weird in a lot of ways. <laughs> like a lot yeah. of his choices, you're like, Oh, this is so strange. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, there, there are moments where he, he really, I think he was 24 when this was filmed, mm-hmm. but there are moments where he so captures kind of the essence of what a 16 year old kid is like, but there's these other moments where he's, he's totally something else. And you're totally, you're forgiving of it that 
no 16 year old would ever would ever act like this but yeah it's so mesmerizing <laughs> going back to the director yeah there are a few fo- there are a few moments in this film where i was thinking man this this choice this framing choice or this this camera move choice does not feel like a studio system like 50s mm-hmm. choice like like the Dutch tilt. Yeah, the, they use yeah, that a couple of times. In the hallway. Yeah, the Dutch tilt happens um, during the argument with his parents, and it happens again when Plato when Plato dies, just to show like mm-hmm. this world is skewed. This world, things are not as they ought to be. And I even think of the moment where just after the chicken run, Jim is laying on the couch and he's laying upside down, and it cuts to his POV seeing his mom come into the room upside down. Like mm-hmm. we're we're the yep. and I was just thinking like man what a what great choices that that are subtle but just like yeah go beyond the words you know um, yeah it's powerful and it you know it really does even just the night when there's that scene where those the kids are kind of messing with Jim's dad and there's like they like hang a chicken upside down or something outside and they're like kind of making weird noises. You feel like the fear of a parent in a world where it seems like the rules are breaking down. Like mm. it feels like if at that night scene where it feels like, oh, these they're just disrespecting uh, authority. They're disrespecting old, like just adults. It feels like, oh, this is a world teetering. It does feel apocalyptic. Like the kid, you know, that apocalyptic high school feel is like, oh, yeah, this feels like an apocalyptic, like a, a world on the brink of collapse. Totally. Obviously, who knows if, if in the director's mind – you know, Jim and uh, Jim and Judy are going to break, you know, they're just going to be dumb kids and have a relationship, break up and then like move on or hurt each other. You know what I mean? Like who knows what in their minds happens after the, after the film. But it's interesting to me that like the film is about the search for connection. And there's almost like a sense of like a, there is a sense of redemption at the end with James Dean and his father and his father's dynamic with his mother and and his father's always very sympathetic. Like he's a he seems very likable. You feel bad for the guy. But then yeah, and then Jim's relationship with Judy, you feel like there's a there is a redemption and almost like a through human connection, through through in a sense like a forming of a new family. There is like a there is a healing. And I don't know, maybe there's something to the fact that they're walking away from the planetarium. That this guy died at the planetarium and they walk away from the planetarium and perhaps everything that the planetarium represents. I don't know. Yeah, that's a great point. They're walking away from the planetarium at the end. They're walking away from this, the accepting this view of things. And also it's interesting to me that it takes someone dying for things, for there to be any, any hope of things changing. Uh, it, it takes, yeah, it takes Plato dying for there to seem to be, start to be a shift in, uh, in Jim's dad. And like Jim being able to like speak up for himself and uh, and yeah, that sense of connection you're talking about, which obviously reminds me of the gospel, like for us to have true connection with God and for us to be able to have deep, like lasting eternal connection with one another, someone had to die. You know, Jesus had to give himself. He had to be the sacrifice um, to atone for our sin. Um, Yeah. uh, Are there, Pip, are there any other, um, as we wrap up, are there any other uh, reflections of the gospel or any other things in the worldview, yeah. biblical worldview that stand out to you? Yeah, I think, you know, to me, I think the big, the big takeaway is really just that the story, even if, even if people don't realize it, even if it doesn't affect everybody the same way, the story that we tell, that we're told about the universe, you know, the story about the big picture of life 
those, even if we don't seem to be affected by it, like, you know, on an individual basis, the people, you know, like, even if the parents aren't affected by it explicitly, though they, they are in a sense, I think, the people below them, their kids, the people who come after them, they're affected. And just like the, the lies we tell ourselves, the, the, the narratives we cling to, those, those affect us. And so I think to me, it's just like, really, it's just, it's a very warm human film. And it's just a reminder like, hey, this, this kind of materialist philosophy, this does not, this does not work out. This is not a satisfying, uh, give satisfying conclusions. Even, even if we try to take a positive twist on it, even if we, the, the, the veneer of civilization seems to hold, you know, like underneath that, it has consequences. And so I think that's, I mean, it's, it's very heavy, but it's, it's also, it's encouraging in a way because like, oh, we have the, as Christians, like if God made the world, like that's a satisfying worldview to tell people that you're loved, even with all your mistakes and your screw, screw ups, you're loved. And, you know, just think that any of those kids in that, in a sense, that's what they're looking for is to like, to be loved and shown truth, you know, and to like, know there's like, there's justice. James Dean is crying out for justice. And and for right a right order, and Judy's crying out for love and can an actual authentic connection, and so is Plato, you know. And it's just oh, that's yeah, we need that. Yeah, I think that sums it up really well. I'm so grateful that we're in a world that God intentionally created, and He's created us in love. And uh, as Christians, we have the hope that one day Jesus is returning to make all things new and to actually set everything in the right and restful order it's meant to be in. Um, Yeah, well, I think that sums up uh, Rebel Without a Cause uh, for us. Thanks for listening. All right, bye. bye.